Welcome to the Love Reaching Community's Sermon of the Week. For more information pertaining to the life of the church, please visit our website at lrcchurch.co.za. How are you all today? That's good. And hello to the children. It's so nice. What does your picture say? Joy. Ah, I wonder why. What is today, though? What's this Sunday? Yeah, I know it's the first Sunday of the month. I know it's the 3rd of December. What else is it? First Sunday of Advent. If you remember here a year ago, remember I did a thing on Advent with the candles. But just a reminder, what is Advent? Advent is a time to have expectant waiting and preparation. A time to empty ourselves in preparation for the celebration of the birth of the Son of God. And when I look at the world, and I'm possibly your life as well, there's a, there's a ridiculous frenzy to buy the presents, to decorate the tree, to get ready for the holiday, blah, 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 blah. Am I right? Can I encourage us? There's nothing wrong in all of those. But if they consume us, there is. Let us make a decision to expect, to desire to celebrate the most incredible event that God came to earth as a little tiny baby, weak, defenseless, but more than enough. Let us remember Advent in the way that we should remember it. Last week, Johann picked up what what Jesus did. Remember that? And he did truth. Today, I'm looking at joy. And so we've given the kids a picture to color in. And guys, make it beautiful. And if come and show me at the end of the service. <laughs> come and show me when you finish. At the end, when I'm finished talking, come and show me what you've done. Memory I have is I grew up in Zimbabwe. And yeah, we had TV way before you guys. So as a kid, I watched Star Trek. My brother, my father, my father loves, loved space, and we used to watch Star Trek way before Star Trek the movie came out. And it was all about these intrepid adventurers going into space in the USS Enterprise. I think it went Mach 5 or something, whatever that means, except it went really fast and could go anywhere. And one of the things on the ship, they had all sorts of fancy stuff on the ship. And one of the things they had was this room, and you went into this room and you plugged in Keep in the little keypad what you wanted. And your neurons were stimulated so that you were in, literally in, physically, you thought, your whole brain told you, you are surfing in Hawaii or you are fighting bandits in, in a western. But you were right in it. And why did they do it? For pleasure to go and get some pleasure. And I think we're getting there these days with all these games and simulators. I don't think we've quite got to what they had in Star Trek, but we're getting there. Why do we want that stuff? We want pleasure. We want happiness. We desire it. And it's not bad. Freud defined happiness as the problem of satisfying a person's instinctual wishes. And he came to a problem because he realized we're never satisfied. 
Have you done that where you want something and you think, oh, if only this, just when I get it, and you get it, and yeah, it's good, but then you want more, and you want more, and we become chasing this pleasure, and we never find it. It's, it's interesting, if you read into Freud's life, when he died, he was, into, he was pessimistic, he was depressed, and he actually said the only thing that helped his mood were drugs. He realized, even though he purported this, he could not find that happiness and that pleasure that he knew he needed. Contrast C.S. Lewis. And I've been trying, I've been, I felt God saying this week, I've been reading again his book, Surprised by Joy. And if you haven't read it, I urge you, it's, it's a fascinating autobiography. But he says, joy is not in the material. Joy is not in a place. Joy is not even in an idea. Joy cannot be controlled. It cannot be orchestrated. It is in a person. And that person is Jesus Christ, who came to earth, which at Christmas, what we're celebrating, came to earth as a baby. And only in Jesus, only in Jesus, only in Jesus can we find true everlasting joy. Look at some of the verses. Psalm 16 verse 11 says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. 1 Peter 1.8, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy. How cool is that? You rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. I looked up that rejoice. It says to jump for joy. So you jump for joy, for joy. That's what he's talking about. Where is it? Only in Jesus. So I'm going to look at three directions. First question, how do we rejoice when each day, we experience a world in crisis. This morning, I got an SMS from a fellow member. They had a minor heart attack on Thursday. We're experiencing that, every single one of us. Secondly, the necessary relationship, our laney, can't you cross out necessary, between sorrow and joy. And finally, generous carriers of joy. So how do we rejoice when each day we experience a world in crisis. How do I jump for joy when I face personal stuff almost every day? In my family, in my church, in my South Africa, in my world, how do I keep jumping for joy? How do I not get so weighed down by the, the, the challenges of this world? Luke, Luke 2, verse 10. The shepherd, Jesus has been born. The shepherds are in the field. We know the scripture, but let it, let it invade your soul today. And the angel said to them, fear not. I mean, your shepherd's in a field. Picture this. This angel appears in the sky. Oh, there's an angel. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly, 
there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit did not need to create the universe. They did. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit did not need to preserve this universe, to keep it going, to provide everything it needs. They do. We're breaking our universe. We're destroying it. You just have to go into news and you see what man is destroying, little bit by little, little bit. We're overpopulating. God did not need to come to earth as a man and suffer as a man. He did. Why? Because he loves us. Because he loves us. For unto us this day, a child is born who is Christ the Lord. He came to earth that I might have joy, that I might find real eternal joy. So our bad news world, there is always good news. He came. He came. He came. He came. There is always good news. God is with us. It says that in that scripture. He is with us. He presents himself with us. No matter what is happening. He gives, he wants to pour forth um, goodwill to us. I just, to, Luke 2.14 in the King James Version says, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward Men, he has goodwill toward man. Everyone, that person that really irritates you, that awful sinner, and I'm saying that with a, with a sarcasm because that's not how we should see them. God loves everybody. He sent his son. God loves us. There is incredible good news in this bad news world. So how do I jump for joy? I jump for joy because Jesus came. He came, he saw, he conquered. He is risen again and he's seated in heaven and he is always interceding for me. Puny little stupid me. Always. I have reason to jump for joy. I have reason. No matter what affects this earth. And he told us it's going to get tough. We can jump for joy. He is in control. You don't look very happy. Never mind. The necessary relationship between joy and sorrow. Three main scriptures we're doing today. We're doing one in Luke, one in Hebrews, and one in John. So in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every, ray, every weight, everything that distresses you, and sin, which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. God brought up that, that thought of a race today. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I got the scale here. One of the little kids came and said, what is that? I don't think we see it. It's like gramophone records. Like, what the heck? What is that? And it's a scale. One, it's a beautiful old scale. I hope you can all see it. On the one side, there's the structure which can't come off. 
but which is open to receive and open to give. On the other side is a weight. We've got one weight, and we could put that on. I like demonstrating sorrow and joy. In our lives, there is sorrow and joy. If we put it in a scale, I wonder how we'd balance it. Some days, maybe on the sorrow side, maybe you're in that place today. But sometimes where you're more experiencing the joy, that balance, the reality of life, of sorrow and joy. In my, in my life, two things I could, this, that came to mind when I was preparing. Sorrow when my dad died. Tears of sorrow. But I remember my dad crying tears of joy when he sung carols. He loved beautiful music. And he would weep when he sang or listened to beautiful music. When we look in the, in the scripture, go to Acts. You don't get, I'll just tell you, but in Acts 13, Paul's just been on his first journey. And you know, he's doing God's will. He's given up everything to go and serve God. He goes to the island of, of Cyprus. Then he goes up. Remember, we did it when we did Galatians. He goes up into Asia. And they, the Jews basically get jealous. Who's this guy trying to tell us there's another way, that there's Jesus and it's for everyone, God forbid. And they persecute. They beat them up and they kick them out of the town. The end of that chapter, chapter 13, finishes with this verse. 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Good grief. They've just, been, they've just been kicked out. They've been beaten. And you're filled with joy? Are you nuts? No. Jesus had come. Jesus had died on a cross. Jesus had risen again. The word was going out. Yes, it was tough, but there was reason for joy. Reason for joy. Psalm 126, verse 5 and 6 says, Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. I think when many churches today, it's all about good, 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 yes, be joyful, da, 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 but no reality. That there's a side to life that is sorrowful, that is hard. But the reality underneath that sorrow, there is a joy that's inside that comes from Jesus. Jesus himself, he spoke of joy and sorrow. In Isaiah 53, which describes Jesus way before he came, it says he was a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. And I think sometimes we just picture that as the cross. But his whole life wasn't great. He was running from the authorities often. He was, if you read the scripture, if you read what happens in the gospel, he's constantly going back into Galilee because he's so persecuted and so hounded that he has to go back for his own safety because if he stayed in Jerusalem, for example, he would be killed before his time. He knew sorrow. He knew grief. He's come as God. I can't even imagine what it must have been like. God Almighty and people rejecting him. The Pharisees rejecting him. It must have been 
so incredibly sore. And I ask myself, yeah, there's sorrow, there's life sorrow. But I want to challenge us today, and it came up again in worship. Do we sorrow? Do we feel sorrow for the lost? Did you notice that chapter 126, that psalm, spoke about they will reap with tears, but sow with joy? Yeah, I'm going to, I'll witness when I feel right. I'll witness when God gives me the opportunity. When the, the writing in the sky says, lady, witness now. Or am I going to put up with the contempt, put up with the embarrassment, and because I am sorrowful, because I realize this person, unless they hear about Jesus, is going to hell. They have no hope. They look for pleasure. They try and satisfy their pleasure. They have no joy. The only source of joy is Jesus. Do we feel for people like that? I know I don't. Do we want to feel like that? Do we want to be stimulated to go beyond ourselves, beyond our embarrassment and say, I need to tell you about something today? Are we doing that? I don't think so. Can we be challenged to the core of our being? God, show me your sorrow for the people you love who are going to a hell, a place without Jesus. And kids, you as well, tell people about Jesus. Tell them. They need to hear. They need to hear. And we know when I look at that, that scale, and in my life, it's, I don't know where it is sometimes, but one day, one day, all sorrow, all tears will be gone. We will know eternal joy in the presence of our Lord and Savior. There is a balance in this life, but we have this eternal hope. This weight will be gone forever and ever and ever. Isn't that incredible? So are we carriers, generous carriers of this joy? John 17, this is where Jesus is in the upper room. He's with his disciples. He's given them a lot of information. He knew he was going. You know, when you, when you know you're seeing someone for the last time, you try and get everything, you realize all this stuff, I often do that with my daughter. She comes up from Cape Town, and then the half an hour before she goes, I think, I haven't told her this, and I haven't told her that. And you try and squeeze it all in in the last half hour. Jesus is trying to squeeze everything into this last bit of time with him. He's given them so much, and he's just, he wants them. He wants them to know. And in this priestly prayer, one of the things he says is, verse 9 of chapter 17, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. But now I am coming to you, Jesus speaking to the Father, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Yes, there's joy in heaven, but we can have his joy in us. How awesome is that? How awesome the fact that I can have, that's what he prayed. Jesus, son of God, prayed that I might have his joy in me. More than happiness, 
more than pleasure, an everlasting joy. It doesn't depend on my circumstances. Yes, I can mourn. Yes, I can be sad. But I should have a deep, deep joy. And if we don't, ask him, Holy Spirit, give me your joy. Show me your joy. Pursue that joy. So I thought, but how, how can I give a bit more practical about this? How do I work this out in my life? So I have to ask, what is your motivation for life? Honestly, look at yourself. Maybe not right now, but even now, start to think, what am I motivated for? Really? To be with my children. To get married. To make money. To drive a I don't know, Lamborghini. To watch Manchester United endlessly. <laughs> Carl's not here. <laughs> but what are we motivated for? Honestly, just to survive the day. What motivates us? There should be one thing. And that is a pursuit of the love for the glory of God. Can I say that again? To pursue with everything. When you pursue something, you go for it. You don't wait for it just to arrive. You pursue it. You find out. You do everything you can to seek it out. Pursue a love for the glory of God. Not a love for the glory of me. A love for the glory of God. That should be our motivation. In everything that I am, in everything that I speak, in everything that I do, seeking the glory of God. He's worth it. He is worth it. So a few things I wrote down. What does that, okay, Lenny, so yeah, pursue the glory of God. Love, what, what does that mean? What does it mean? And there are many things. Forfeit my own plans. <laughs> Forfeit my own plans. His plans, his timing. We are like that. We want it now. Forfeit those plans. Serve those who will never pay us back. Be nice to them because, you know, maybe you get a little bit of comeback. Just serving those who can never or will never pay us back. That's serving God. That's seeking His glory. Forgive. But you don't understand what they did. Forgive. Forgive from the depth of our heart. That's serving the glory of God. Try not to vindicate myself. Well, I did it because, you know, da, 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 da. Let it go. That's serving the glory of God. Stop pointing the finger. Well, her, she did this, and he did this, and so that's why I did this. Stop doing it. Serving the glory of God. Put others First, always. One of the most challenging verses I try and say to myself most days. Philippians 2 verse 3. Do nothing. How much? Nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. 
but in humility count others more significant than yourself. That's what Jesus did. He let go of all of his godliness to become a man. I'm going to write, finish with a story that I want to read to you. But just to focus ourselves. How can I be joyful? How can I jump for joy in this world? Because he came. He came. He is here by the Holy Spirit. He is with us. No matter what your circumstances are screaming at you, that is the truth. Yes, there is sorrow. They balance each other. Sometimes this way, sometimes that way. There is ultimate joy. Am I carrying the joy? How do I carry the joy? I pursue the glory of God in everything that I do and that I am. So here's a lovely story. It's, it's written about 1851, so it has quite old English. But it is such an amazing story. I pray that it will thrill your hearts as it is thrilled mine. It comes from a book called From Death Unto Life, 20 Years of Ministry. And it's by William Haslam. And he's talking about an account, something that happened to him in 1851. I'll let him tell the story. So just relax, listen to the story. So I went up into the pulpit and gave out my text. I took it from the gospel of the day. What think ye of Christ? As I went on to explain the passage, I saw that the Pharisees and scribes did not know that Christ was the Son of God or that he was come to save them. They were looking for a king, the son of David, to reign over them as they were. Something was telling me all the time, you are no better than the Pharisees yourself. You do not believe that he is the Son of God and that he has come to save you any more than they did. I don't remember all I said, but I felt a wonderful light and joy coming into my soul. And I was beginning to see what the Pharisees did not. Whether it was something in my words or my manner or my look, I know not. But that all of a sudden, a local preacher who happened to be in the congregation stood up, putting up his arms, shouted in a Cornish manner, the parson is converted. The parson is converted. Hallelujah. And in another moment, his voice was lost in the shouts and praises of three or four hundred of the congregation. Instead of rebuking this extraordinary brawling, as I would have done in a former time, I joined in the outburst of praise. And to make it more orderly, I gave a doxology. Praise God, from whom all blessings flow. And the people sang it with heart and voice over and over again. My churchmen were dismayed, and many of them fled precipitately from that place. Still the voice of praise went on and was swelled by numbers of passers-by who came into the church, greatly surprised to hear and see what was going on. When this subsided, I found at least 20 people crying for mercy, whose voices had not been heard in the excitement and noise of thanksgiving. They all professed to find peace and joy in believing. Among this number, there were three from my own house. And we, we returned home 
praising God. The news spread in all directions that the parson was converted and that by his own sermon in his own pulpit too. So clear and vivid was the conviction through which I passed and so distinct was the light into which the Lord had brought me that I knew and was sure he had brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and put a new song into my mouth. He had quickened me, who was before dead in trespasses and sin. At the end of this great and eventful day of my life, my spiritual birthday, on which I passed from death to life by being born from above, I could scarcely sleep for joy. He has come. If you know Jesus, are you excited? Are you carrying that excitement? Is there joy and light in your life? Or are you squashing it and allowing it to be squashed by, by stuff? It's just stuff. Do you know Jesus? I say that passionately. Do you know Jesus today? If you without conviction to say, I am born again, I know Jesus I am established on the rock. You need to be saved today. You need to be saved today. You cannot have joy in this world. It is, it will fleet. It will never come to you. This is the most important decision you can ever, ever make. And if you're sitting there saying, well, I'm okay. What about your family? What about your colleagues? What about that person who God places in your space? At the till, at the gym, at the petrol station, at work. I don't know. What about them? Do we care? We have this joy, this inexpressible joy from Jesus. God, may he inspire us. God, may he move us today. 